Hi guys, welcome to the Money Paradox podcast where we cover many different topics all around making sure finance is an enabler for the life that you want rather than it being a blocker or a restriction. Today's episode is a special one because I have here my brother Henry. This will be one of many interviews I do, but I really wanted to get Henry in because one, I love the guy very dearly. He's a very special person to me and he's had a really interesting financial background. We had a tough life. He's come from some difficult routes, but he's become very financially successful. Uh, he is a doctor, very valued in his field and within three years of working was able to buy his first property with me. Very, very impressed and I'm just so happy to have you here, mate. Thank you, James. Um, that's some really pretty sweet words there, so I appreciate the intro. Um, it's nice to be on here. I know I've been watching them online and been very proud as a younger brother, but also just, if I'm being honest, I've been cherry picking some of them watching them and learning from them too. So it's not just other people following you out there, it's also the family too, learning and enjoying the videos. Thanks, Tony, I really appreciate that. And look, I think, I think what I'd like to start with first is, uh, yeah, just tell me a bit about background. Obviously, I know quite a bit of that, you know, having shared, you know, certainly a lot sure. of your life, you know, we're, we're very close as brothers. But I want to know from your perspective. So first, maybe let's cover off just briefly where, where you are now, like um, financially, and how that's impacted your life. So where we are now, or my journey up to it? Just briefly where you are now. Okay, yeah, sure. So, you know, as James said, you know, I'm Henry, I'm James's brother. He's four years, well, four years older than me. So, you know, where I am now, you know, it's... I'm five year post-graduating medical school. So I've been in London for those five years and been working as a doctor. Two of those years in conventional training, two of those years outside conventional training and working extra shifts as an a position. Financially, I feel like I'm in a pretty good position and you know, I bought my first house a couple of years ago. Just literally two weeks ago, I paid off my loan for my deposit of the house which we can go into a little bit more later if that's helpful. Um, I've got a pretty good salary. I'm quite high up in my field. I'm an A&E registrar, which is quite high, especially for my age. Um, I save quite a lot each month. I've got an investment portfolio that I mimic from Ray Dalio. So financially, I feel in a good position. I bought my first house. I'm saving it for my second. I've got a strong investment portfolio that I save to each month. And, you know, I live a lifestyle that I enjoy. I go on holiday regularly, I eat good food. I'm, I feel I feel very comfortable in my financial situation. And, and if I'm honest, I feel very excited by it too. But if I'm honest, that, that finesse to it has only really come in the last six months. Okay, so this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you in now, Henry, because, look, you know, I think you did a really good summary there, but real strong progress, but also, real strong kind of place in which you are now in many of the key areas when it comes to finances. You have a strong investment position, in 
kind of yeah. contributing to that every month. You've got the high amount of savings each month, even as a percentage of, of how much you're earning is really good. You've got a real kind of hold over your spending. Very careful with that. You know, you're not doing the kind of crazy amounts of spending each month and being quite volatile around that. You've got your job to a place where you're earning really good money. I can see you've got an amazing life around that, so it's not very restrictive. Right. The fact that you bought the house within such a short period of time, and then all the debts that came around that, you were able to clear that in a in in a really kind of aggressive time frame as well. So yeah. really, really strong position right now. Yeah, okay. Thank you. But I think for those watching, I, d I don't want this to be a video about you know how great you are now and 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 so because many people maybe if they're not in that situation might kind of switch off right and think well you know it's easy to henry because he's a doctor and you know doctors may earn quite a bit of money and there were certain things in your life that that may have helped you get there right which others might not have had and i think the key thing for me i want to i want to go into now is is where you came from right so your upbringing Kind of generally but also financially to help explain that actually that wasn't the case but also the the wild ride of that journey yeah that's been quite the ride so where do you want, you want to start from the beginning start at the beginning mate yeah sure yeah so well i'm you know i'm sure you've explained and gone into a little bit in your previous videos but you know from when where our financial background started for me you know Life was tough when we were very young. You know, we grew up with a single parent mother who was on, you know, benefits and we didn't have much money to our name. And for most of my childhood, I felt extremely poor. I felt trapped. I felt restricted in most things that I could do. And so for a goal for a long time of mine was to be successful so I could earn more money. Um, and that felt like it went on for basically ever. And then when being your brother, the first thing that I noticed was because it was a four year age gap. I noticed that your life started to be a bit more luxurious than mine. And I didn't like that. This, that that, that, that separation there, you know, you were four years old and I tried to accept it, but that, well, it confused me, excited me, made me a bit jealous. And so from a young age, I wanted to try and become financially independent as young as I could. So my first steps was getting a paper round, which didn't produce much money. And then when I was 16, I got EMA, which was 30 pound a week. And it doesn't sound very much, but when it first came to my bank account, I felt like a rich man, I have to say. And then the first proper time I felt, I felt financially independent is when I did my gap year and I moved to South America, which was self-funded through a charity. And so I managed to have this incredible time abroad for a year, living in the jungle, having this amazing experiences, you know, being teaching, eating great food, traveling the world, basically on a shoestring. So I went from not being able to, you know, eat food out when I was a kid to travel around the world, eating and drinking and doing whatever I liked. And that, and that was incredible for me. Before you go on to that, I want to just, just quickly cover off on, on, on the kind of formative years, right? So. So I don't think we covered in, in too much detail yet. Having come from quite a poor background, you know, I'll, I'd like you to just cover a little bit more around coming from quite a poor 
starting life, single mother, that that piece. How did that impact you, and what was it specifically? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that that journey was so long ago. I kind of I overlook it sometimes. You know, it was really tough. It was like it was the worst. You know, being that. for those who don't know, you know what what was it specifically that played out back then? You know, financially. Well, you know, mum was a single parent mother, so dad left when we were very young, and that was chaotic for the family. It left her not be able to work, which was tough, which means she had to rely on the welfare system, you know, and having children into sports stuff, they didn't go very far. So I just remember being a kid eating the same dinner every day. Like we would classically have this roast dinner that mum would have because she was. She was like, you know, she wanted to get the nutrients into us and do it as cheaply as possible. So I, I, you know, we ate roast dinner every day. Like, I'm not even joking, 10 euros every day. Do you remember, do you remember the, uh, the soups, you know, the veggie soups with the, the few pounds that we used to go up to the supermarket at the top of the road and just get whatever we could that was reduced that day? Yeah, I do remember that. What I remember more is, uh, you know, you haven't seen a house burn up. Well, you obviously have, but people watching haven't. But we, Dad, before he left, had a grape vine in our surgery. And when times were really tough, Mum actually used the grapes to make a curry and we ate that like every day for three days. And it's like a recurring joke in the family because we ate grape curry, which has, I don't think, ever been made before and will ever be made again. Yeah, I don't think Mum ever lived that on down. Um, so, yeah, right. So, so <laughs> yeah, some pretty crazy stories. And, you know, I think certainly at the time, they were really difficult and it was a, a struggle. I think we look back now and kind of laugh at it and and uh, reminisce on, on how crazy that 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 was, yeah, it was but it was crazy and tough it was right you know and you know walking to school all of that and uh yeah yeah dad took the cars also we walked to school and you know mom had a chaotic lifestyle so we'd always be about 45 minutes late so i'd always have to walk into school 45 minutes late and explain it's because we walked to school but it's still embarrassing in the worst Agreed, agreed. So, okay, so pretty difficult financial situation growing up, you know, money was tight, but also... Yeah, and another thing that comes to mind is, because we had such little money, and like, I kind of envied a lot of my friends and family, I, like, mum could never take us on holidays. I think we went on a couple that she managed to budget, which is very sweet of her, actually, and hats off to her with absolutely no money. But what I used to do was try and improve my lifestyle but with my friends so you know I had great friends I was lucky to have really great friends and so my family friends would take me on holiday like my girlfriend when I was 16 took me skiing and that was incredible it was like my first glimpse into like a middle class lifestyle and my best friend David took me to the lake just every year where we like canoe and rock climb and BMX it was like it was the first hint that you could kind of escape your class a little bit because I don't know we were kind of like in a weird marriage between working class and middle class, with not much money, but wanting to live that lifestyle and having glimmers of it here and there throughout childhood, but wanting, you know, to live more of it. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, I remember because it's something I used to do as well. I, used to, I always used to make sure the parents liked me because if the parents liked me, then I was always welcome round and I had that, again, that glimpse of, 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 of a nicer life of some of the opportunities we didn't, we didn't have at home, right? Yeah, right, and you know, and, and it worked well. And it's a school I think I did, and I think we both learned very young. Right, so having developed that skill early on, you know, how have you taken that into your later life? Or what, what's the kind of 
more longer learning around that. About about financially or about skill sets in both? Well, I think I learned from a very young age, you know, life is tough. You know, we had a tough childhood, but we're not the only one. I think a lot of people out there do too. And, you know, through life to be successful and to get over difficulties, you have to, you have to like, you have to engage with people, you have to respect the community. So we, I really learned that lesson very young, and so I brought that into school. So when I wanted to apply to med school, you know, I remember floating that idea. People laughed at me, were like, you've got no money, you've got learning difficulties, how on earth are you going to do this? Literally, my career as advisor at school laughed at me. But I was like, well, you know, how did I go on those cool holidays? How did I get people to like me when I was younger? How did I try and transcend out of that place? So I got some people who were doctors to like me and people at school to help me, and I used... And I was charming and I was sweet, but I was attentive and I was respectful and enough people helped me regularly enough to write, help me write my statement and before I knew it, I was in med school. And the exact same thing happened with my gap year. I wanted to spend a year abroad, you know, going straight to med school after working as hard as we did at Five Ways scared me, so I wanted a year abroad, but I had no money. So, so Five Ways is the school you went to, right? Yeah, Five Ways is the school I went to. And that was challenging in its own rights, but I highlight that because to spend a year abroad in a crazy country with absolutely zero financial support from any of your family is a tall order. You know, some people go on holiday for a week and they ask their parents for money or whatever. And so to try and navigate around that was tough. So, you know, we did it for the same charity, but just to get that support, I remember being interviewed by a sweet Guyanese lady and the same skill sets came up. No, I was passionate, I really wanted to go away. But those kind of skills I developed as a child came into play there. And I remember to this day, she pledged me uh, £1,700 towards a £5,000 Ferrets. I heard of it just there and then, just because I went to my granny's birthday party. But we're digressing a little bit, but I think that's what you're highlighting. That skill is a useful skill, and it came to play in my later life at university and as a doctor as well. Yeah, I agree. So I think two things really come up for me that I think are so fundamental for general success, but financial success as well. And one is, you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. It's said a lot, I'm a massive believer in that as, as a kind of a phrase, because we are, we are social animals and we just absorb those around us. So if we, if we bring ourselves around people who are successful or at least the living the life that are, is what we want or on the journey of what we want, then we're naturally going to get pulled in that direction. We, we, it's just human nature. It's how we're built. So you know, if you're not where you, where you want to be now, go find those people that can help you because I think the brain just naturally tries to bridge the gap from where it feels it is to, to the environment it's in. You put yourself in an unhealthy environment, a negative environment, then it will naturally just absorb that and become that. Um, but then secondly, be resourceful. Uh, I think a lot of the examples you were given there, Henry, are, are just by being, being innovative in, in getting to where, to where you want to be, right? So yes, you were using kind of social, social intelligence to build relationships yeah. with people to get that, 
But you're also thinking, well, where I am right now is not where I want to be, okay? Some of these other things, like being able to go on a holiday, travel, get some of those options that you wouldn't have unless you had a stronger financial situation, is, well, what can I do? What resources do I have at my disposal? Well, I know people that uh, have those things, or find those people, and then what it is can I do to actually build a relationship with people and actually kind of get into their life. So, impressive. Yeah, thank you. So, okay, so we, we talked about kind of the this, this school piece. I, I want to kind of cover now a bit that you hinted at already. Well, I just want going away for you. Yeah, can I just add something? I think, but I just wanted to build on this, kind of the five people in your life are your peer group. And if you want to be successful, then you know, someone in my med school, I hanged out with people and respect to doctors. But just a bit more back to so when we were younger, you know, we weren't always successful. And there was times where I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Um, and, you know, I wasn't doing my homework. Sometimes I would miss days of school and, you know, I'd stay up late in the park. And then my peer group at that time weren't even people from five ways, you know, a good grammar school. There were people in mostly that I thought at the time, you know, I enjoyed spending time with, but there was a time when I came up to my GCSEs and I had to study hard. And, and there was a time where I, you know, people intervened in my life, like you and mom, and it, it made me take a hard, long look at my peer group. And I say that because sometimes it's not, are they good people? Could they be better? But sometimes are they bad people? And are they negative? Are they destructive in life? And if you have a hard, I think that's even more important to see if they could be better. And you just have to evaluate are people bringing down. So that's an extreme example when I was younger, but some people can be toxic, some people can be negative. And that, I think that's also an important thing to remember. Yeah, so true. I mean, I, I've actually done this a few, few times in my life um, and, and I, I'm very passionate about it, is that think about the people that you hang out with, right? You're spending your time with. And then think, are those people supporting you? Are they moving you in the direction in which you want to go, right? And some of those people may not be doing that. And I think the key thing here is that don't just assume that those people that are around you, that are within your circle, are immovable, okay? But you have the choice to, to, to spend time with those people. So if there's people that you don't feel are good in your life, you can take a a mental decision to say you know what i'm not going to spend time with those people anymore i'm going to go spend time with these other people that i know really are adding value to my life or i'm going to go find those people and that's that's not a bad thing to do right that's that's actually a respectable thing for both sides because they're not on that direction in which you want to move and if you stay there you're just going to get frustrated a lot of negative emotions are going to come out and that's going to that's going to play out in those relationships so I think that's a, you know, I think a really important lesson there. You know, you took a decision, right? You didn't allow life to happen to you and say, well, these are my mates, you know, that's, that's what it is, right? And let, let's see where this journey takes me. You say, no, no, I can see where this is going. I'm not up for that. I want to go in that direction. And who are those people that are going to help me get there? Yeah, and it's tough and that they will ultimately try and pull you back in. And I remember that and I had two different social groups at a time and one was pulling and it was difficult because and there was shame around it you know when I when I got good A-levels and when I got to med school there was uh, I don't know if I'm just being honest it felt a bit shameful trying to explain and then 
there was there some shame around when you were describing how successful you were becoming to people who, who weren't as successful as you. And that was, that was difficult for me. And it was only when I grew into that success and believed in myself as I got older and felt like I deserved it. For, I think for a long time I felt like I didn't deserve it. But I, you know, that was a while ago. But I just explain that because that is sometimes why you can step back. The shame around it, you don't deserve it. And, you know, that was a long time ago. But I just think it's important because that decision when I was 15, 16, 14... You know, was probably one of the or the biggest stepping stone of my life, and what I probably actually a lot of my success too. Yeah, I, I think a, a key part of that, and this is why I think the people you are around make such a big difference because I think everybody has their own blueprint, set of identities, rules, belief systems, and you might believe you're a certain level of success or strengths in certain areas, and if you look to move to another area or to a different point, a higher point, your mind will be trying to pull you back because it associates with where you were. Yeah. And if you've got people around you that are reinforcing that old view of yourself, that's going to be really, really hard to move out of, if not impossible. That's like pure willpower, which is weak on a sustained basis. Whereas if you're looking to move into that new world, that new way of thinking that is, that is higher, and the people around you support that higher view, it's 10 times easier. Yeah, exactly, because you're getting, I think what James is saying is that, so when I was in that old group, I was feeling pulled back, but if you associate with a successful group that you want, with goals that are aligned for you, then you feel pulled in that direction, not pulled back to your old life. And so I've had it when, you know, as a doctor or at med school. And I remember when my exams came up through med school, you know, I had somewhat a chaotic approach. I've always done extremely well in education. I've got greater levels. And well, my journey hasn't always been like that, but my latter parts has. But it was from choice. I remember at med school when the exams came around, who did I hang around with every day for like three months up? It was the brightest people. The people went to the library every day, got up at six o'clock, you know? And it was just like, well, you know, four people texted me at seven o'clock when we're going to the library. You know, and then you're like, you know, you didn't want to keep them waiting, so you got up and went with them. You know, and it works, I promise you. Very true, mate. Okay, well, I want to go into the, the kind of Guyana uh, chapter in your life. So talk me, through, talk me through just briefly how you got into that and, and also what you learned from that experience generally, but also you know, with a focus on finances. Yeah, um, okay. So as I alluded to a little bit earlier, I really wanted to do a gap year and spend a year abroad for lots of reasons. Um, you know, I did find school extremely challenging. Um, it feels like a long time ago, but you know, we were diagnosed with learning difficulties from a young age, which meant primary school was challenging and lots of secondary school. So getting to the point to get your GCSEs to a good level and to do your A-levels and to be set up to go to university it felt like a lifetime, it felt, it felt to me like multiple lifetimes. And I felt like in a good place, so I felt like I deserved a break, so that was exciting. Um, and also just, you know, what we've alluded to about our childhood, you know, that, that was a lot, man. So I just wanted some time on my own, away from it all. I felt like I was a bit too reliant on you and mum. I kind of wanted to prove that I could do it on my own a little bit away. But I was faced with this challenge of never going on a family holiday, 
because we could afford it. So I wanted to spend a year on my own and, you know, completely independent. And with that comes financial independence. Um, I'll just briefly talk about you know, what is Guyana. Probably most people watching this thing don't know, unless they know you. Yeah, it's funny because I talk about Guyana daily to all my friends. So to, to try and think that people don't know about it is odd. But yes, you know, Guyana is... You know, it's a small country in South America. It's the poorest and has the smallest population, just under a million. There's three of them, British, French and Dutch. We canalized it in the early 1900s. It's a very cool country in many reasons. And it's part of Caribbean, so it's a Caribbean culture, even though it's mainland South America. And the reason why it excited me is because from a young age, I was really outdoorsy, very similar to James. And you know, my earliest memory of my granddad is him teaching me how to make a fire in his back garden. And I remember trying to use kindling, um, like some paper, and he told me off, like we only use wood, and we were like splitting matches and doing kindling that way. He was very proud, you know, he was a farmer by rights. And it, you know, that was my earliest memory. And dad taught me some skills around the outdoors. And then I did scouts with wild, you know, I remember every summer, it was the best part of the summer doing wide games outside and capture the flag and there was this amazing game where we'd have like a big rope in the middle of the field and we'd play at like midnight, it was pitch black and we'd have two teams, you had to flirt the rope. So I was, you know, I was captivated, I was obsessed, like I was always the team leader, I was always the, I was always young on the team but I was always running, it just the whole outside excited me. So I wanted to do Guyana because it was the Amazon rainforest and it allowed me to do outside and, you know, I had really terrible learning difficulties for a long time period of my life so English speaking country you know excited me too well, so they all kind of married up it all sounded perfect and James did it a few years before so I, like, I knew it was possible as well but yeah as he said you know to do a year abroad you know it costs a lot of money mum didn't have any to offer and so it was this process of doing it through a charity and fundraising and so we did all that and they highlighted that you need to raise £5,000 to do this you know in many respects, like 5,000 for a whole year abroad, that's amazing. That's like super financially efficient. It sounds incredible. That's a, that's a fraction of what a year abroad should cost. But then also it's someone who's been poor his whole life and wore the same secondhand hand-me-down clothes at school for many years and preschool meals as long as he can remember and had to walk to school. Like to raise 5,000 pounds out of nowhere was a daunting task. And that was, you know, that was a process of, you know, it was difficult, scary at times. You know, I had a few different tactics I played. I told briefly told you about earlier about meeting this Guyanese lady who pledged a third of the amount. That was amazing. And then I went creative and resourceful. I wrote to charities. I just expressed what my life was like and why I wanted to do it. And I was really passionate about it. I really was. And I still am. And I got support that way. And I did a few fundraising things at home. I think I put on an event or I was packing bags at the local supermarket. Just was a bit creative about how I could do that. So creative, uh, also trying a number of different areas. How, talk me through, so you're like, right, I need to make this £5,000 to, to go on this year abroad. You'd obviously done a number of activities to be able to do that. How did you come up with those activities in the first place? Well, I think what I did, I remember, I remember focusing on a few for weeks and months when it was my big priority because I was so excited. Well, I just knew that mom couldn't support us financially. So I just thought, 
you know, what is this kind of simplest, easiest ways that I could kind of produce money? So kind of writing to charities and being excited about it was one. And then, you know, I was resourceful. So, you know, Project Trust was the charity I went with. You know, it was the 40th year that they'd been running when I went and it was this big anniversary for it. And I was like, okay, you know, how many people has this charity served abroad? I can't be the only child of pride who wants to go on and who's from financial difficulty. So I spoke to them basically everyone and I and it sounds a bit naughty now, but I basically copied all their ideas. So some of them raised money by backpacking at the supermarket. I was like, that sounds pretty easy. If there's one at the top of the road, I did that, worked really well. So the guys went to charities. So I was like, I'll do that. And then I took it even a step further, which was a bit cheeky, but I'll share now because it was 10 years ago. I was like, which charities did you write to? Which one gave you money? And they're like, this one, you know, and guess what? I wrote to those charities and most of my money came from those ones. Yeah. And that was, again, just being efficient, creative. Like my boy Max, who I went away with, he got good money from charities too. And I think everyone that gave him money gave me money. So that that is such an important point, right? So, because I, so I, obviously I did the same process. I went to Guyana four years before Henry, went through the fundraising process. And, you know, you're, you did a slightly different tack to me. But um, like a few things I want to call out here. One, don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah, Don't think, oh, I've got to do it grassroots from the just to, from the, to make a point I think well what's my outcome my outcome is I've got to get five grand in the most efficient way okay I'm bought into the idea of doing it so what's the most effective way of doing that well think about it if I'm going to do it well I'm not the first person who's done it so why don't I go speak to those people that have already done it they've done the one in homework they've done the a thousand hours of the boring bit like you can really yeah. bypass that bit and so say, okay, so what things did you do that got the most money? And then within those areas, what was the specific activity you did or people that you spoke to that gave you that money? So, for example, writing to those particular charities. And something I did at the time was, you know, because I obviously I didn't have a brother to learn from and to kind of do that. And I didn't have that same uh, thing to reference from. But... It, they, they recommended writing to charities to, 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 to fund the money. You know, and everyone, they said, you know, write to maybe 10, 20 charities, ones that you think were a good idea. I remember going to the library, because it was days before computers and internet, and I got the book for the charities, and I literally highlighted every single possible charity that yeah, I could really find that, that was relevant. And I wrote to every single one. It was like a... It was like a uh, yeah, I must have sent it to 200 different charities so you just go way above and beyond what you need to do and then and then you know it so almost shoot the stars and you know you're going to reach the moon yeah and it's true because I was a bit hesitant of how to do it because I was not as organized as when I was younger than I am now so I was a bit delayed on it and I was worried I wasn't going to make my target and I did but the funny thing is because I did that and I wrote to so many charities when I went to Guyana the first month I was there Every few days, another check would come to the post. I went way above my target when I was in Guyana. And I went from this guy like, oh, was he going to make the money to doubling my target? It was, yeah, it was incredible. I just reiterate that because I wrote to so many. And he came through when I was even on the trip, which was like, it was nice because yeah. it, not only did I deserve my place, then I even got extra for the charity, which felt good, I think, I have to admit. Yeah, like, it, got, it reminds me of... Uh love or hate him, a guy called Grant Cardone, he's famous for the 10x concept. And why that is such an effective uh, approach, and for those that haven't, haven't seen him or heard of it, is effectively think about what it is that you want in life, 
right? Whether it's a financial goal or anything. And then think, well, what is it that, okay, so I want to get, I don't know, say 5,000 pounds by the end of the year, okay? So then what you need to do is you want to 10X that outcome and then go for that outcome, 50,000 back. Well, how do I, I need to get to 50,000. How do I get to 50,000 pounds? What are the things I need to do? So immediately you're hugely increasing what you think you need to do to get there. So you're, you're not just trying to get just over the line. You, you're, gonna, you're trying to go way past it. And so you're not, it's, just, it's just inevitable that you're gonna get that. Yeah. But then the key thing is that once you've worked that out, then you 10 times what you think is needed for that. So you're just on hyperdrive, uh, putting effort and thought around what you need to get. And I think this is a perfect example. Yeah, I know I hadn't heard of Grand Cardone when I was doing that, but yeah, you know, that extends what I've done in there, I think. Good, man. So, Good times. so okay, so Guyana, huge, huge lesson around how he was able to raise the money around that. What about the actual experience around Guyana? You know, you were working out there, you were, you were making a bit of money. What was that like? What were your kind of learnings around that? Maybe some mistakes, some successes around that, things that you've carried through? Yeah, so, well, I think when I moved to Guyana, that was when I first felt truly financially independent. You know, I didn't live at home with mom. I didn't, I had to find my own accommodation, my own food, my own money for clothes, my own transport, insurance. You know, the biggest part was it like, not only did you have to do the five grand and go over there, I was like, oh, I've done that, I can rest easy. But then, you know how much stuff you need to go live in the jungle for a year? You need loads of shit that you've never, I've never had or bought, or even know where to start. And that was my next big challenge. Okay, so I needed stuff to live in the Amazon rainforest for a year, which people don't just have in their bedroom, especially people from poor backgrounds. So I had to create money to buy two backpacks and a pen knife and tracking stuff. But when I was, when I was over there, I really felt financially independent. And that was powerful, you know, I had my own job that I had to wake up for every morning. I had to plan my lessons. I got a salary every month, you know, 60,000 Guyanese dollars. I still remember it every month. And you're thinking, well, word, that's loads of money. It's not, it's 200 pound a month. But like, you know, it was my first salary and I was proud. And so that was a great experience because it forced me down a route of financial independence, but general independence. Um, and that was exciting and I th it made me even more resourceful around the money because I was not I got to this year abroad which was amazing but then you know you had to survive out there for a year and 200 pound a month isn't very much money and so I at the beginning of the year I decided what do I want from this year what do I want to do what you know what's most important to me and if I was honest and what was most important to Max who's the guy I went with is basically we wanted to travel as much as we can on our school holidays. We wanted to see as much as South America and the most crazy experiences because we were 18, two young, excited guys. And so that's what we did. And because that was a priority, the 200 pound every month, I basically didn't spend any money on my, on my term projects. I lived off the land. We, met, we promised each other we wouldn't spend any money and we'd save this 200 pound each month. And each four months we'd go travel with a thousand pounds. So that's what we did. We lived off the land and then we traveled and became resourceful that way. And that's how we kind of spent the year working the projects, 
having this incredible time, having amazing experiences, just all three. And we just, you know, we just every day we just wandered to the little houses within our village, eat, drink with them, we'd cook with the headmistress, we'd eat at dinner with school. And then the money and like, you know, the two weeks before we were going to break up for school holidays, we'd plan it with our little lowly planet books. And we'd do, you know, everything as cheaply as possible. Because we, our, my mindset and Max's mindset, Max's financial background is a little bit different to mine, but we, we had this mindset basically, if we did everything we could think of as the cheaply as humanly possible, then we could have as many opportunities and experiences as possible. And that was my mindset in going out of my gap year. And it was a powerful one. If everything you approach you do as cheaply as possible, then before you know it, you're doing lots of being lots of incredible things. And so I had a million experience in that on a shoestring and that worked really well. And you know, I won't tell you about the experiences now because there are many of them and I, I probably wouldn't stop talking for about an hour. But that that's something that taught me amazing and it's something that came on to my later years. So I, I did that approach and you know, I travelled around all the Caribbean. I went down to Peru, Bolivia, Argentina, Brazil, all the Guyanas into the Caribbean again on no money, on this two hundred pound a month. How much do you guys make a month? How much do I make a month now? You know, ten times that, more than that. And I was having this incredible journey. And it, and it, for a long time, that one rule, it was like the golden rule for me. Dream big and do any experience you want, but just do it as cheaply as possible because then you can do as many of them as we can and it'd be amazing. And it's something that poured onto my latter years. And because I was obsessed with this year abroad, I had such incredible time. When I went and did five years at med school, every year we had two or three months off. And what did I do? I went to Israel for three months. I went to India for three months. I went to Mexico for two months. And the same thing stuck. I never wanted to lose the traveling aspect of my life. So even when I was going to university and I was having a student loan, which we all know isn't very much, I decided that the day one of each year at med school, what I wanted to do that, year, that summer holiday, how long I wanted to go for, how much I thought it would cost. And even before I did my day one at university, I put that money aside. I was like, well, that's for, that's for traveling. You ain't going to touch that. You're going to pretend you didn't own that. And then I lived my life the way I could with that money. And then when it came to June, I had my two or three grand and I did this mad three month trip. 